You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, we are in Luke chapter 10. We're going to have one more week in Luke, and we're going to take a break for the summer um, so you guys are not, like, weary of Luke. Uh, So we'll come back at the end of the summer and start back again. But um, we've been here for, this is 20... Week 25, believe it or not. Some of you are like, I believe it. I'm like, I believe it too. Um, We're coming to a very famous passage today. Whether you've been in church your whole life or not, you've probably have heard this story, at least referenced, even Seinfeld, all right, has this this, uh, passage mentioned. So very famous. It's the passage of the Good Samaritan. But one of the most misunderstood stories in Scripture uh, if you ask, you know, kind of just the culture, what is a Good Samaritan about? They kind of bottom line something like this. Well, you got to be nice, right? Which is true. You should be nice, all right? Uh, but that's not the point. The point of the parable, actually, for those following Jesus, it's, it's deeper than that. The idea, the question that Jesus is going to be answering really when you get to the core is, what does it look like for someone to really love God? That's what we're dealing with. For those who say they love God, and I, I want to ask you to raise your hand because then it'll be like, well, I don't love God, and then some of you will feel guilty. So, but what does it look like for those who love God? And Jesus' answer is going to be, they're good neighbors. They are good neighbors. And so that's the heart of what we're going to talk about, and we're going to ask some questions. Who's my neighbor? What does it look like to be a neighbor? How am I not a good neighbor? These are all things that Jesus is going to answer it for us in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. All right? So you can follow along on the slides. You can use the Bibles in front of you or your iPad or your iPhone or your, you know, weaker phone, the Samsung creation, whatever it is. But, but you can follow along. And, and the context here is Jesus is going to be interacting with a dude who thinks he's going to heaven. And there's going to have this Q&A session between this guy and this guy. This guy thinks he loves God, and he really doesn't. And Jesus, through a, a Q&A and a parable, is going to reveal to this guy that he really doesn't love God. All right? And so let's jump in to our text uh, and just kind of read it, and we'll kind of work through slowly. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer. And when we're talking about lawyer, we're not talking about one call, that's all. This is not an attorney. Okay? This is... Uh, a expert in the Old Testament law. He is a theologian, right? He is, you know, Bible answer man. If you tell him, hey, what, what does Ezra 6.3 say? He can quote it to you, 
All right, that's a book of the Bible for some of you who don't know what Ezra is, all right? He knows his Old Testament. He's Old Testament answer, Bible answer man. All right, that's what you got to know. So he's not, he's not attorney. He's actually uh, just a theologian. And he stands up, which typically would be a, a sign of respect, right? So Jesus, as he teaches, sits. This guy, he's, it's, it's, it's a gutsy move, all right? It's a gutsy move. He is going to stand and challenge Jesus. But he's going to pretend he's doing it for respect. So he stands up like you would. But really, he's got no respect. Really, he, it says he's testing him. He wants to put, he wants to show Jesus up, all right? And it's not going to go well for him, by the way. You don't stand up to God like, I'm going to beat God, right? You're really not going to win that race, okay? Right? So, he, but he's going to try. And he asks him, really, the most basic of theological questions. I mean, this is, like, the most basic question. How do I, how do I get to heaven, in essence? What do I do to inherit eternal life? And, and it's a flawed question for two reasons. Number one, he don't care what his answer is. He thinks he's good already. He's not asking because he wants to know. He's asking because he wants to challenge Jesus. That's flaw number one. Flaw number two is he, he assumes that there's something that he could do. He's like, what do I need to do? How do I get it? Right? What, what are the hoops I need to jump through to get to heaven? Which is not the way, as we'll see. All right? So he asks this question, and Jesus' response is brilliant, as you would assume the Son of God to be. But he doesn't answer it. In other places, he does. A guy comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest to be saved, right? He doesn't quote John 3.16 here. He's not like, for God so loved the world, he sent me. Whoever believes in me, well, he doesn't do that. He says this, love it. He, asks, he asks a question to his question. He says, in essence, well, you're Mr. Big Shot Bible man, you tell me. I'm just a carpenter from Nazareth. What do I know? You're the expert. What is written in the law? How do you read it? What's your understanding of the scripture, Mr. Bible Answer Man? And so now, he thought he was going to put Jesus in the spotlight. Everyone turns. Well, yeah. And now he's, he's, he's the center. And everyone's looking at him. And there's kind of the sweats beating up, and there's a big gulp. But he's, he's not going to be shaken. He's going to answer. So he does. He says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He takes two passages out of the Old Testament, because he's an expert. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema, Shema Yisrael, the hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love him. That's something a good Jew recited every day. So he takes that, and he takes a passage out of Leviticus. These two passages were known to be kind of the summary of the law. He says, there it is. Love God, love people. Bam. How do you like that, Jesus? Jesus says, you are Right? You are right. Do it, and you will live. Now, if you picture Jesus to be this, like, stoic kind of, like, character whose arms don't move when he walks, except when he does this, bless you, son, and, you know, but if that's how you picture Jesus, then you are going to miss the sarcasm and the humor that is just dripping. Because what he's saying is, that is right. If you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, at all times, at all times in your life, even when you're sleeping, you're loving God with your whole heart. He is the most high passion in your soul. And then you're loving people at all times. I mean, you're seeing people, you're meeting needs, you're rejoicing when they rejoice, you're crying when they cry, you're weeping. You're never grumpy, you're never angry, you never said a cuss word, you never yelled at your spouse, you never coveted, you never lied, you never lusted. Do that. If you've done that, you are good to go. That's what he's saying. 
And what's the problem with that? No one, how, how, many, how many of that was your weekend? You can't, most of us even get to church without being demonic. That's why y'all come to late service. Y'all are fighting. <laughs> All the spiritual people are at nine. Y'all are late, right? Except for the, that's, and, and y'all, that is the entire point. That's what Jesus is saying. If you are trying to get to heaven by keeping the law, then that is what you have to do. You have to be perfect, not miss a beat ever. And the problem is no one can, which is the entire point of the Old Testament law, y'all, that the law, Paul says, is a tutor that is supposed to get you to Christ. You needed someone who could keep the law perfectly because you couldn't. Guess who did? Jesus of Nazareth. You needed someone to take the penalty that you deserved because you broke the law of God because the wages of sin is death. Guess who did? Jesus of Nazareth. The law points you to a savior. And if you think you can keep the law, then you do not need grace, my friend. All right? That's the whole point. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to. That's what the Old Testament law points you to. And, he's, and he knows it too. He's feeling the pinch. Right? He's feeling like, ooh, Jesus got me there. So, so what does he want to do? The only way he feels like he can say, I've done that, is to shrink the requirements, right? So he says, he's justifying himself, right? He obviously thinks that he's already doing this. So he says to Jesus, okay, well then, um, I'm doing part one, love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, right. So, but part two I have some questions about. So who is my neighbor? And what he's really asking is what? Jesus, who do I not have to love? Okay, how do I do the bare minimum, get into heaven, get by? This is what some of y'all high schoolers have been doing all week. I need a 38 on the exam to get a B, and I need a 99.7 to get an A. It's a B. <laughs> or for some of you, it's a C. Yeah, for complete, right? That's what you've been doing. Don't, like, don't lie. Do not lie to me. You're a pastor. Okay, I know. Because I did it. But hold on. But that's what he's saying. Who do, how can I get to the minimum love level to still get in, Jesus? And see, this, y'all, this is the problem with religion. Please listen to me, some of you here. Some of you here think, I know because we live in the South, I know because we talk to you all the time, you think that Christianity is about believe in God and do a bunch of good things and I'm in. I, I need to, you have the same issue this guy has. You are thinking that you can be good enough that one day if you're good enough, God will say, good job, heaven is for you. You've been good. You've been nice. And what some of you are doing is you're treating salvation like a punch card. You know, you go to your favorite restaurant, you go to your coffee shop, you go to your whatever, and what do you do? You buy a cup of coffee, punch Man, I only need 53 more and I get a free cup of coffee. And you're just, you know, same thing. Oh, man, I'm almost there. I got 47. And I just, and finally, you, I got a free cup of coffee. No, you didn't. You paid $1,300 for that cup of coffee. <laughs> okay, it took you five years of lattes and you got a free cup. That's right. It cost them all 12 cents to make, by the way. And, and that's how you treat Christianity. That's how you treat religion. I'm almost there. Tithe, punch. Go to church, 
punch, be nice, punch, volunteer in the nursery, punch, read my Bible, punch, 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 and eventually maybe I get there. And the problem with that is really it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with you. It is all self-serving. It is, I got to get there. I got to do something to get to the next thing. It's about you. It's not about God. That's the problem. That's the dilemma with religion. And it is not Christian, even if it's Christian stuff. Bible study, serving in church, sermons, music, fill in the blank. It is not Christian. Right? And, and so you got to understand, there's nothing. You are bankrupt. Dead in your trespasses and sin. Right? And, and that's where this guy is. He, he doesn't see it. He thinks he's in. I, I'm doing good. I'm loving everybody. I'm loving God. Why? Because he goes to church and he keeps the rules. And so Jesus is going to tell him this parable to show that he's not. And maybe it'll show some of us that we're not. But the heart of what we really want to get is, what does it mean to be a neighbor? And we'll get our questions answered. Who's my neighbor? Why do I fail? And how do I do it? And look, this may be, y'all, you know, there's a lot of important messages in the Gospel of Luke. This may be one of the most important for us to get. All right? It just might be. Because if we miss what Jesus is saying here, then you are wasting your time sitting in these chairs this morning. All right? So let's jump in and, and look at the story. I'm going to just kind of tell it, walk through it, and then we'll come back and make some points. So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a very famous road, still there today. It, Jerusalem's on a, on a hill. Jericho's kind of down the hill. It's a 17-mile road. It goes down about 34, 3,300 feet the entire way. You know, you're riding your bike. You never use your brakes. You kind of kind of go all the way down, right? It was called the Pass of Blood. Because it was very dangerous. There was just rock formations waiting for us all the way down as it winds its way down. And it was famous for, for bandits just kind of hiding out, waiting for a guy to come by. Boom. Grab him, get his stuff, and take off. Very dangerous road. Kind of road you don't do at night. Kind of road you don't do alone. And that happens. Guy gets mugged. He gets robbed. And notice he is stripped and he's beaten. So he, he has no identifying markers on himself. How do we identify kind of who we are? The way we dress, the way we speak, right? That's kind of how it is. So you go to the office over there, all you see is a bunch of golf shirts. And you're thinking, I'm at CBC. It's golf shirt heaven, right? It's like Augusta National over there, right? Well, for them, it's the same way. How do I know someone's this race? How do I know? It was the way they dress, the way they speak. This guy, you cannot identify anything. He is just a piece of meat on the side of the road. And we don't know what nation he's from. We don't know what language he speaks. There he is, right? About to die, half dead. Now, by chance, and it's, it's, it's Luke's, it's Jesus' way of saying, what luck. Someone's coming. Triple A's here, right? What luck. And then not only that, it's a priest. Oh, my God. I mean, you cannot get better than a priest. He, in that culture, he's the, the holy of holy guy. He is a direct descendant of Aaron himself. He's the guy that's been up in Jerusalem. It says he's coming down, right? Which means he's leaving Jerusalem. Why would a priest be in Jerusalem? Because it was his time to serve. He gets two weeks a year. He's like a National Guard preacher, right? He goes up for two weeks. He serves for two weeks, and he goes home. He is coming off his holy high. He has been serving in the temple. He's been making sacrifices and doing all these things and biblical counseling. And so this guy certainly, if anybody loves God, this guy loves God. So certainly he's going to help. What does he do? He see, notice he sees the guy, okay? He highlights it. When he saw him. So it wasn't like, oh, I missed it. I didn't see the dead guy. 
He sees him. He literally walks around him and keeps on his way. You're like, what in the world? Second thing, a Levite. Levites were kind of like the JV priests with never a chance to make the varsity. They're like eternally JV, but they're still in the religious elite. They've been, he's been up at the temple too for two weeks on his holy high, serving the priests, helping out. He sees them. Same thing. You're like, why did he? Maybe he saw his boss a couple hundred yards ahead. Well, he walked, you know, pastor walked by. I guess deacon walks by too. Right? If he can't help, I can't help. For whatever reason, they walk around. Then, this is where, y'all, the story gets scandalous. It's scandalous. The Samaritan. Now, understand, in the Greek text, Samaritan is like the first word, so it's emphatic. And there would be a shock value and a gasp. So we're going to practice it. I'm going to say a Samaritan, you're going to go, okay, ready? But a Samaritan. That's exactly the way it would have been. Okay, that's exactly how it would have worked. A Samaritan. And, and I've told you before, you know, and if you grew up in the church with a little flanograph, you know that Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritan hated Jews, right? It was a very racial thing. There was an economic thing. Here, here's why. Let me give you the kind of 30-second summary. 722 B.C., Assyria comes down and takes the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they go captive. Psh, they're gone. The southern kingdom, the, Judah, they make it about another 120 years, but then Babylon comes and takes them away, right? They all go into captivity. The difference is this. The Yankees, okay, they intermarried with the Assyrians, right? They all did that. The Southerners, they did not. They stayed, they only married their Jewish brothers and sisters. And so when they all came back into the land a couple hundred years later, the Southerners looked down on the Yankees, go figure, okay? As a Yankee, I feel this tension, right? Can't get, get over living in Philly. So they, you guys compromise. You northerners intermarried. You guys aren't pure. You're not faithful. So we, we're the real, we're the real Israel. We're the faithful ones, and y'all are not. You're all a bunch of half-breeds. And so there was this racial hatred for the Samaritans because they had intermarried when they were in, uh, in captivity. And beyond that, they wouldn't let them come to the temple because they're not pure. You can't come worship Yahweh. You're not pure. So the Samaritans said, fine, we'll make our own temple. And they made their own temple. And then the southerners came up and they blew it up. Because they said it doesn't count. It doesn't real. So they blew it up. And, so the, and then the Yankees came down. And what they did is they scattered bones all around the temple at Passover to desecrate the temple. Like a big prank. Like a high school prank. But it was much more wicked. And, and it just, this back and forth and hatred and, and you know, they were persecuted. And they did, it was just, they were despised the, the the southern kingdom would literally pray that God would not show grace to the Samaritans. Can you imagine that? Praying that God would not show grace to somebody? And it was just, it was back and forth and back and forth. So much so, and I told you before, they wouldn't walk through Samaria. They would go all the way around. Right? Here's kind of a map of what they would do. So here's the northern kingdom, Sea of Galilee. They would go across the river, walk through the desert, and then come across just so they could avoid them. I mean, that would be like you saying, I hate South Carolina roads, which is probably true. So I'm going to drive all the way to Atlanta, up into Tennessee. I'll go into North Carolina because I can't stand South Carolina roads. That's the equivalent. That's how far they would go out of the way just to avoid these people. 
which is makes it, that's why when Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at the well, it's so radical. Because no one does this but Jesus. And so the equivalent, y'all, is for these guys, when they hear, again, the whole, the gasp is the Samaritan, they're assuming if the good guys walk by, what's the Samaritan going to do? Going to step on his face? Going to choke him? I mean, you had the equivalent of the, think about, the prominent pastor from Savannah. And then the, the, one of the main teachers of BSF or some other big ministry. They just blew him off. And then in walks who? In our, in our equivalent, it'd be the local iman from the mosque. It'd be the head of Planned Parenthood Savannah. That's the tension. The BSF guy and the head pastor guy, they walk on by, in walks the imam. What are they gonna do? Imam, excuse me. There's an M at the end. He shows compassion. He sees him and he shows compassion. And his compassion moves him to action. So he binds up his wounds, which means he's got to take, they don't have like a first aid kit. Whoa, give me a first aid kit out of the camel, right? You know, they don't have that. So he's taking his clothes. See, he's probably a wealthy guy because he's got an animal. So he's ripping his Lululemon. That's the kind of guy this guy is, Lululemon, right? And so he's ripping it. Some of you have no clue what that is. That means you're holy. Trust me, okay? <laughs> but he's taking it, he's ripping, he's sh- shredding his clothes, and he's tying this guy, and he's getting down on his knees, and he's getting in the mud and the, and the nastiness of this guy. And then he puts him on his own animal, which means guess who's walking? He's walking, which means now he's going slower, which means his life is in danger because there's probably bandits around still. And then the next day, he takes him to an inn, which means he's slowing his journey. He he was on a journey, remember? He's not going home to see his kids now. He's got a business he's supposed to be running, but he slows it down, takes out two denarii, which is two days of salary for a guy, a significant amount, and he gives it to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay. This is a big piece, y'all, because this guy, it's a, he's, maybe he's got two, three weeks worth of care. What if he needs six months? Well, what happens when this guy finally gets healthy? He's gonna have to pay that debt off that he incurred, right? The credit going, is going and going, so he's gonna have to live as a slave, live as a servant for six months to pay off his debt. So what this guy says, I will pay his debt, Whatever it is, however long it takes you, I got it, right? This, it's huge what this man has done. And so Jesus kind of concludes it with the guy. He says this, all right, which of these three, the imam, the pastor, the BSF leader, proved to be a neighbor? Notice the language, proved. Which one proved to love God ultimately? Which one? And the guy answers, but he still, you can just see him gritting his teeth. He won't even say the word Samaritan. <laughs> Notice, he doesn't say Samaritan did. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Right? It's the racial piece that's just there. Because the hero of the story is his sworn enemy. And Jesus said, just like first time, good job. Right answer, buddy. Now, go do it. You want to keep the law? You want to get to heaven like that? <laughs> yeah, this is the way it is. Right? And he's not teaching works salvation. He's trying to get this guy to see, you don't do this. No one does. Ultimately, perfect all the time. Right? So maybe you ought to rethink that whole, 
I'm going to earn my way to heaven peace. Maybe some of us here, you got to think through that whole, I'm good enough to get to heaven on my own peace. If I do enough good, God will outweigh. It's not the way it works. But, for, but what we want to ask is this, and this is kind of where we want to land. If, if, if loving God, the greatest commandment, love God with all heart, soul, mind, strength, and the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor is a sign of loving God. So what does that look like for us, church? That's the question. So let's answer and ask three questions. The first question is, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And this is an easy one, right? This, this is the easy question. Everyone probably gets this. It's anyone that God has put in your path that has need, even if they hate you. Now that's the heart piece. Because what we do often, most of us look like our physical neighbors, right? You live in a neighborhood, probably it's a very similar socioeconomic status, similar education, similar, you probably live in a very uh, place where most people are like you, which is fine. But that is easy, right? That, that's the easy piece. That, it's, it's not just about, yeah, I'm going to cut my neighbor's lawn once in a while. I got to be nice. I'm going to take him cookies. I might even invite him to church. That, that's not the heart of what Jesus is saying. He's saying your neighbor is the one that is not like you, who you do not like and they do not like you. I was this week I was studying this passage. I'm at the coffee shop I'm usually at in the morning and I'm, you know, kind of wrestling through some of these things. How am I going to structure this? You know, this familiar story. And so I'm kind of got some big ideas on the ground. I walk out and there outside the coffee shop is this man that I'm telling you he's there four times a week begging, Right? And I do what I often do. I pretend I'm on my phone. <laughs> That's the same thing you do, right? I hear him out of, the, I hear him out of my ear kind of out of the corner here. Sir, excuse me, sir. And I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking in my heart, in my wretched, sinful heart. That guy needs to get a job. Right? That's what you're thinking. Don't lie. I know. Because I'm there. And I immediately go, and I'm thinking, I'm studying on being a good neighbor. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to blow this guy off. And it's like the spirit's like, no, see, this guy may be abusing the system, and he may be doing it, but what does it look like for you right now in this moment to be a neighbor? So I I turned, went and talked to the man for a minute or two, nothing. I gave him what cash I had, which was like four bucks. I don't know what he did with it. Um, Hopefully he got something to eat. That's what he said. But the point is this. Your job is not to worry about what they're going to do with it or not. And I'm not saying you should give money to every panhandler. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that you're not supposed to worry about the other side. You are supposed to be a good neighbor. And when the Spirit is moving you to do something, you're to do it. And in that moment, he was for me. And that is a hard thing. But your neighbor is the person that you barely know. That is your neighbor. That is who you love. Your neighbor is that boss who is a jerk, who mistreats you, who is unkind to you at all times. That is your neighbor. Your neighbor is that friend who bitterly betrayed you. Those girls that are constantly talking about you behind your back. That is your neighbor. The spouse who hasn't pursued your heart, hasn't loved you for years. It's your neighbor. Your neighbor is that coach 
who put your kid on the bench because they like the other kid's parents better and they give them the little perks and they kind of bribe them behind the scenes. So your kid's on the bench and, and their kid's playing and that makes you mad, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is the foreigner who may be here legally and who may not be here legally. And this is, this is not a political statement. Right? I'm not making a political statement. The scripture is clear. The government's job is to protect its people, to punish evildoers, and to praise those who do right. But the church's job is to love whoever God brings into their path and to model justice and kindness and love for the government. We're supposed to be there to guide them. Right? And it doesn't matter whether or not what their, what their laws are going to be. Your job is to love the person that's right there who has a need. It's to love the people who are in situations because they've made dumb decisions, right? Because you've made dumb decisions. And, and you know, we can debate why poor people stay poor and why poor schools are poor. And we can, you know, there's, well, their system's rigged is one side. The other side, well, they, they're just not good parents. It's the family's fault. And, and there's, there's truth to all those things. But the church's job is not to figure out the reason. The church's job is to love the neighbor. That's the point. We can Fight on Facebook of what everything, you know, some of y'all, oh, you need to read this article and so and so. You can fight all day long about those things, but they're inconsequential. If these neighbors are in front of you, then your job is to engage and care and love them. That's the who. Those who even despise you. That's your neighbor. Second question is the why not. Why, why are we not good neighbors sometimes? I think there's three reasons in the text, and I think they're very relative to where we're at, and I think these are going to be hard for some of us to hear, but I think you need to hear them, right, because we want to be good neighbors. The first reason we don't, we don't engage and we're not good neighbors is because it's inconvenient, because it's hard. See, the priest and the Levite, there's something going on under this very cultural. If they were to engage and touch this guy, his body, and help him out, they would be considered ceremonially unclean, which means they'd have to go back up to the temple, spend a week there, getting ritually clean again, and then they could go home. And that is a lot of rigmarole, and that is a lot of time, and they did not feel like doing it. Because they want to go home, and they got plans, and they're busy, and they got things to do. And I've already done my part, so I don't need to do any more. And what, you know, I don't really, I'm not a paramedic anyway. What can I do? And the reason some of us do not engage and we don't do anything is because the bottom line is it's hard. Now, I gotta, I've been saving up this money for this, and I don't want to spend it on them. And it's my time, and I don't have time to be with them because I got my plans, and I got to go work out, and I got to go do this. And the bottom line is being a neighbor is messy, and it is inconvenient, and some of you don't do it because that's, that's the reality, because you want to do your deal. Because that person is so annoying and I can't imagine spending an hour with them and I can't stand them, right? And I got plans and I got this and I don't know what I'm doing really anyway. The interesting thing is these guys loved going to church, didn't they? I mean, they loved their two weeks up at the temple. Some of us love going to church and singing the songs and doing all the stuff. I tithe. I do my quiet time. Jesus addresses that later when he talks to the Pharisees. He says, y'all love the tithe, you got, you're tithing your daggum spice rack. I mean, that's some serious tithing. A little cinnamon and nutmeg. And, you know, don't put anything in the box, please. Don't be, you know, pepper and salt back there. But that's what they're doing. They are some serious tithers. They love them some sermons. They love them some church. But they walk around the very person in need. And, and, and Jesus says, you, you do that, but you ignore the weightier pieces of the law. 
mercy, and faithfulness. Right? It's inconvenient. Sometimes it's hard. Some, and that's why we don't engage sometimes. Second thing, reason, I think, is because there's fear. I mean, maybe there's a fear. Oh, we're going to get mugged. We, we might get, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We got to get home. And I'm not saying we should purposely put ourselves in harm's way, go walk downtown 37th Street at 5 a.m. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that sometimes fear of people or fear of the unknown keeps us from engaging. Well, I've been hurt before, and I don't know if I should do that because I don't want to open myself up again. I'm like, what it might cost me, I don't know. Fear, right? There's people who are different, and I don't get them, and, you know, it's weird. That's fear. Look, and I get fear of people. I am an introverted dude. I know most of y'all still don't believe that. I mean, I, I love people as much as I can love them, right? But, like, I, you know, I mean, I'm the guy that walks around the neighborhood, and I see you one time, and I'm fine. Hey, what's up? Second time, I don't know what to do. If you're still walking, it, I mean, you don't want to be, you don't want to be like, hi, because that's creepy. It's like, whoa, weird guy. But, yeah, you know, you can, what do I just, you know, nod? I mean, I don't know what to do. That really freaks me out. I'm just telling you. So I just usually pull out my phone again and pretend I'm on the phone. <laughs> I mean, when I see you guys out, and, 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 and they come by, hey, Bill, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's just weird. I just a weird deal. I'm a weird dude. I know. But I got, for me, that's the challenge for me is to, to, to engage people, just to, to talk to people. It's not always easy for me. Some of you, maybe there's someone in your dorm or in your school, and you know that they need to just hang out with someone like you because you can really have an impact there, and you just need to get over it. Like, well, what if they say no? Or what, what happens if I invite that guy who, you know, he, he's always alone. If I ask him to come hang out with me and my buddies, what are my buddies going to think? Are they going to think I'm weird? Got to get over that. Or maybe you, you see one of your buddies in sin, and this girl's making unwise decisions, and you're scared to say something because you might lose your friendship. Or that family is asking all sorts of questions because their family is blowing up, and they get teenagers rebelling and blah, blah, blah. And they're, and they're coming to you and asking spiritual questions, and you're like, well, I don't know what to say, and I don't want to be a Jesus freak. And Look, you got to get over our fear. Be strong and courageous, God says to Joshua. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Paul says we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit in you is not a spirit of fear and timidity. But we got to get over it. Right? We got, we got to be willing to be rejected even, y'all. In fact, you, if you gauge, you will be rejected. That's okay. They rejected Jesus. And the last reason, I think, is indifference, which is the saddest of them all. But some of us, maybe, we just don't care about anything. Which is truly, there's one of two options there. You are grossly out of fellowship with God, or you are not a follower of Jesus. That's, those are only two options. Right? You can't say, oh, I love God. I love my Bible. I love theology. And, and completely dis- despise people and not care less about them. It just doesn't work. Right? It just does not work. And I pray that that's not any of us. Right? That, that because of prejudice or whatever else, that you would be so indifferent to people. So the question is this. Big question. How do we be good neighbors? Right? How then can we be good neighbors? And the key phrase here, the key verse... Is, is verse 33 where it says, the Samaritan had compassion. What makes him a good neighbor 
is that he had compassion. And it's a word that kind of, it's, it's an emotional, just from the depths of your soul word. It's a word actually that's only used a couple times this phrase, had compassion in the gospels. And it's always used of Christ or God. And, and it's not just a feel so, oh, sad. Let me pray for you. It's not that. It is a, a emotion that, that moves you to action. So it's used of Jesus when he sees the, the thousands of people and they're like sheep without a shepherd and he's moved with compassion. So he teaches them and he heals them and he feeds them. It's used there. It's used of um, when, when Jesus sees the widow, the woman who lost her husband, and now she's lost her only child, the only other person in her life, her young boy is now dead, and she's all alone, and it says Jesus has compassion, and he mo- goes up and he touches the casket and brings the, ba- the boy back to life and, and, and hands him to his mother. It's that word. It's used of the, in the story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son tells his dad, basically, I wish you were dead. I want your inheritance now. He gives it to him. He goes off and parties it away. And finally, he wakes up and he starts coming back. And when his father sees him way off, it says he's moved with compassion. And what does he do? He books it and runs towards him and embraces him and throws him a big party. That's the word that's used of this guy who's looking down at this man who, if he's Jewish, probably hates his guts. This is his mortal enemy, but he's moved to action. That's what it is. Same phrase. And, and if we're gonna be a church that says, we love God, we love God, then you cannot stand there and see people that God in his providence and his sovereignty brings into your life that have need, and you can't say, go in peace, brother, be warm and filled must engage. And that's in the body, y'all, and that's, it's out there. I'm telling you, my fear for us as a church, we got 1,400 people worshiping, hearing the word of God every week. How many of us are, are, are here raising our hands, singing our songs, doing our quiet times, and then we leave and we just walk around? I mean, you're walking around people in our neighborhood, for goodness sakes. Some of you are still parking in front of their driveways, right? And we just blow off those people right in front of us. It's sometimes hard. Let me just share the reality of ministry. It is hard just to get Christians to serve on Sundays. Y'all, that's like church 101. That's why we have two services, so we can say, hey, you attend one and serve one. It's, if we're not willing to serve our brothers, you think you're going to serve your enemy? Just telling you. And my fear for us is that all these people that are coming is that some of us have just got our religious punch card out. Service, punch. Sing a couple songs. I think I get bonus points for that. I raised my hands. Punch, punch. I even gave. Punch. I was on time, which is a miracle. Punch, punch. Maybe I'll read my Bible this week. And we're just working, trying to earn. Maybe I'll be good enough now. And Jesus is saying, if that's the way you're going to get there, you, for all have sinned and fall far, far short of the glory of God. So we got to be people who are moving. There's people that are broken and hurting all around us, y'all. And God has put you in their lives. You. Isn't that great? He said, I got you there. 
I got you over there at SCAD. I got you over there at International Paper. I got you over there in Windsor Forest. I got you over there in Georgetown. You're at Gulfstream. You're on Hunter. You're on Stewart. You're down there. You. And your job is to show mercy, just like Jesus said. To that boss who is ruthless and that despises everybody, but yet then when he has that divorce or that, that loss of a, of a parent, who's the one that's going to go and hug him and see if he wants to come over to, to your house for supper? It's the Christian. It's the Christian. When the person in the, in the foreign garb that looks different, that eats different foods and that talks different, doesn't speak your language real well, shows up at the office or in your neighborhood, who's the first to go engage? The Christian. Right? When those kids in the neighborhood that are the ones that everyone's like, oh, those nasty kids, I wish they'd stay out of my yard. It's the Christian that says, hey, kids, jump in the minivan with my kids. We're going to go to DQ and get us a blizzard. It's the Christian. It's the Christian who, who's saying, man, maybe God's calling me to foster. It's a big challenge. Some of you have taken it. To love a kid that doesn't have parents or has been in a tough situation. It's the Christian that says, I got, I got a couple hundred, hundred extra bucks this month. Maybe I'm going to go through an organization like World Vision or, or Samaritan's Purse that I, I can feed a kid in a foreign country for 30 bucks a month. I mean, I can't even feed my teenager for $30 a day, but I can feed this kid for $30 a month. I, I, look, the, the, the applications are endless. I can't tell us. I, I, you got to pray and seek the spirit of where he's putting you, but I, I can't tell you how, you know, do X, Y, and Z. I can tell you this. Jesus' followers don't walk around. Okay, that, that's what I can tell you. I don't, know, I don't know where you're at, but I know that. Jesus' followers don't walk around. Because this, this, and this is, remember, the context is he's asked, how do I get to heaven? My followers, because they're going to heaven, don't walk around. And here's, here's kind of the, I, I think this is a significant point. And, so, and, I, and I got some good feedback on it in the first service, so I'll say it again. I, this is not the point of the parable. But I think you can't miss it as you read the Gospels in the big picture of the Scripture. If you were to identify yourself in the parable, who would you be? You're not the priest, you're not the Levite, you're not the Samaritan. You know who you are? You are the half-dead guy on the side of the road, naked and helpless. And someone who was not like you came by. And someone who was your enemy stopped. And someone who you hated got down on his hands and knees, and he bound your wounds. By his wounds, you were healed. And someone threw you on his horse or camel or whatever, and he took you, and he cared for you, and he paid your debt. And his name is Jesus. He is the ultimate good Samaritan, and you are the broken, half-naked, dead person sitting on the side of the road, and your only hope being grace and mercy of your enemy, and he did it. That's what he did. And so now, as Christians, this is not a new, Jesus is not establishing a new rule. Okay, this is the 11th commandment. This is not just a new rule. This is a new reality for people who say they're followers of God. This is the way we live. 
right? We are, we are his church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. That is who we are. We want to be a church, y'all, that we are, we are known more from, for our, what we love than what we, what we hate. We want to be known more for what we are for than what we are against. We, we have been tasked to represent Jesus and his kingdom to every nook and cranny of the city of Savannah and beyond. And we are not going to be satisfied with our little Christian subculture and our little Christian cul-de-sac. That is not who we are. We are not called to picket or be the moral majority or be the, the condemnation of the world. We are called to see the world transformed by the message of the gospel of Jesus, which is the most relevant, best message the world has ever heard. And we are going to put our best effort and our best resources into seeing it go out. And if that is who you want to be, then welcome to CBC. And if you're like, no, I just want to punch my religious card and put on my robes and get a stamp once in a while, then please, this is not a church for you. Because we got too much to do and there's too much at stake. The eternal souls of men and women and boys and girls, and they need folks that are going to love them. That's who, that's who we are. And if that's who you, you want to be, man, get on board. We want to do that. Because we had a God when we were on the side of the road helpless, he saw us and he stopped. And that's what we do now. That's the call of the church, y'all. Take the message of the gospel to a world that is hurting. And you have a great opportunity this week. We have a great opportunity. We are the second largest, maybe, I don't know, church in Savannah, Georgia. How much impact could our people as we scatter this week when it matters. Don't, don't leave here with a punch card, walking around the people. Start looking up and seeing what God has for you. That's the prayer of our church. That's what we wanna be. So we're gonna worship and just respond to the word. And maybe this is a time for you to say, you know what, I, you need to think about the one person that you feel like this will be the hardest to do, and that's who God is calling you to do something this week. So if you're like, I know who exactly who God is called, I know who it is. If it comes to mind real quick, then that's the person you need to start praying. God, what can I do now, tangibly, to be your love? And, and look, you, they may reject you, and you gotta be okay with that, right? They rejected him. But that's, that's what we're talking about. God, I have these resources. I've been sitting around getting my religious punch card at CBC for three years now. I ain't done nothing. It's time to get in the game. So whatever... The Spirit is leading you to do. I trust that he's gonna do it. Let's pray, let's, let's stand, let's worship. Um, and then we'll go out into the city. Father, I pray.